When I was uh, a younger pastor, I was uh, teaching a passage of scripture. It's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21. You don't have to turn there, but you might be familiar with it, especially uh, parents in here, you might be familiar with it because that is the passage where um, in the community, if there is a stubborn and rebellious son, then they are to take them to the uh, community leaders and say that they are stubborn and rebellious. And if the son refuses to repent, then the community is to stone them to death. So I don't know if there's a parent in this room <laughs> that hasn't read that passage a time or two. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I know my parents did. <laughs> so... Uh, but uh, I was teaching that passage, and uh, I, I noticed, I, I, was, I asked the, it was a small Bible study in my, the last church I pastored, and I asked the question, I said, do you, do you know what I find to be the biggest difference between parenting today and parenting in this passage is? And a young lady rose, uh, raised her hand, and I said, yeah. She said, you get to kill them? Okay, point taken. So, uh, <laughs> wasn't the point I was going for, but definitely probably the right answer. So, um, but the point I was intending to make with that was that here in that passage, we see that the community comes behind and revolves and supports parents in their endeavor to raise children in admonition of the Lord. And we just don't see that today. We don't see that at all. In fact, in many places, parenting is seen as kind of the enemy of progress. And we see that all over the place. Just to give you an example, uh, school officials and even politicians have flat out said that parents have no place in the education of their children. Leave that to the professionals. It reminds me of uh, an interview I saw on the E! channel. I don't know if you watch that channel, but they have a lot of these shows where there's a bunch of has-beens that need a paycheck, and so they do little interviews on these, uh, on these shows and such. And, uh, and anyway, and one of them said one time that there are things we need to show the kids, but we can't show the parents. And I've said this ever since, there is nothing you need to show my kids that you can't show me, and I triple dog dare you to try. And so, that's the idea. Parents are seen as the enemy. Uh, you look at a lot of popular media and, and TV shows and movies that, that parents are displayed as kind of the goofs and, and the children kind of know how the real world works and, and father knows best is kind of out the window and now today it's children know best and they have to teach their parents. And I remember Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady of, of, of England, she said one time that the thing that impresses me most about Americans is that how the children parent the parents. And how the children are in charge of the home. Today, adolescence, there's just a refusal to grow up. And adolescence is kind of pushed all the way up to 26 years old or maybe even up to 30 today. And so in this culture, it's very, very easy to fall into the trap of dishonoring parents. Very easy. It's very easy for that to happen in the church. Very easy for it to slip into that mindset. 
I've heard youth pastors say before that parents are the worst problem they have in the youth ministry. And that's unfortunate that they feel that way. It's unfortunate. Beloved, parents are not the enemy. In fact, parents are absolutely crucial to reaching the children. You cannot reach the children without reaching the parents. And most of the time, even if you reach the parents, you might be successful for a little while, but typically speaking, after high school, they will drop out. And so we've got to be about reaching the family. Solomon understood this. Paul did too. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another by showing honor. Now, Paul is speaking specifically of, um, of actions in the church. But beloved, if he commands us to show honor to one another, then how much more must we show honor to those who are closest to us? And as especially as we're going up, children and kids and teenagers in here, the ones that are going to be most closest for us to fulfill that command is gonna be in our parents. And so we need to show honor to one another. Solomon understood the importance of this in the Proverbs. He talks about in chapter one, verse eight, do not forsake your mother's teaching even when she is old. In chapter 23, verse 22, it says, even when she is old. In, verse, in chapter 31 of the Proverbs, we see Lemuel's uh, mother give him advice. Lemuel is probably another royal name for Solomon. And uh, we see that, that beautiful poem in the back of, uh, of Proverbs 31, the, the excellent woman. That is actually advice his mother is giving to him. So yes, moms, you do have biblical uh, precedent to give your sons advice on what kind of woman they should marry. <laughs> and so um, not, saying, not saying that it's the end game, but it is there. And all of this plays out in an in a, in a interesting interchange that happens between Solomon and his mother. And we find that in 1 Kings chapter 2. If you're using the Bible in the pew in front of you, you can find that on page 330 of that Bible in the pew in front of you. Or James, uh, excuse me, James, First King, Kings chapter two, in verses 19 and through 25. And just to give you a little background, Solomon has ascended to the throne. He is David's son. He is the son of David and Bathsheba. And you may remember that story about how Bathsheba had given birth to Solomon after their first child died, which was punishment for uh, David's adultery and David's murder to cover it up. And so Solomon was chosen by God to become king, but Israel is, is no different. And, and just like any ancient kingdom, when there is a transfer of power, when there is a transfer of authority, when, and somebody new steps up to the throne, there's, there's always political intrigue there, there's always kind of infighting that takes place in the royal family. And we don't see much of that today, at least in the West, but, but it always happened uh, throughout history. And we see that with uh, Adonijah and Joab and Abith Abiathar's first attempt. They attempted to make Adonijah become king. And as a result, um, they were outwitted by David and by Bathsheba and by Nathan the prophet. 
And so all of that has taken place. And now in verse 19, Solomon has ascended the throne and there is a... um, there is one of David's son, Adonijah, who wanted to become king, and he goes to Bathsheba, and she asks him, do you come peacefully? He says, yes. And he asks him, you know that the kingdom that was supposed to be mine, and all Israel expected me to be king, but now it has become my brother's, I would ask that he may give me Abishag, the Shulamite, as a wife. And Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak to the king for you. And that is where we come to in this part. And this is what we see, a a Christ-like example of what it means to honor our mothers, honor our parents. And really, really, we can expand this out to honoring one another, outdoing one another in honor. So what do we see here? Solomon shows the kind of honor that children should display, that Christians are to show toward our parents and all of our lives. And and this is displayed in three actions. And I don't have a PowerPoint this morning. I just want you to just kind of pay attention and and just kind of be ministered to this morning for our note takers. But I want you to notice in verse 19, when Bathsheba comes in, a Christian, a a Christ-like example of honoring one another and especially honoring our mothers this morning is by showing respect to her. In fact, I think that is the basic definition of honoring someone is to to show respect. Look what happens in in, uh, verse 19. So Bathsheba goes to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king arose to meet her, bowed before her, and sat on his throne. And he had a throne set for the king's mother, and she sat on his right. And so three actions he does for her. Number one is that when she walks into the room, he rises to meet her, which is really decorum. But then he bows to her, And then he has a throne set for her that is on his right side. And if you know anything about ancient kingship, you know that that is a position of honor. That is actually the place where the king would normally sit. And yet he has reserved that place for his mother. And she comes in and she sits down on his right hand. I want you to understand something that that Solomon is the king of Israel. He has absolute power and he has the ability to even remove her from the court if he wants to. In fact, we see that in King Asa in 1 Kings 15. So he had ascended to the throne and yet even though he had grown up and even though he had grown great, he still gives her the due respect. And that, that is, the, I think, the core definition of what it means to honor someone is to respect them, is to show them the respect that they deserve. Beloved, I want you to understand, in our culture today, we have become so fascinated and wrapped up in this lie that your preferences and what you do and all of your actions defines who you are. Your whole identity is wrapped up in who you are. Beloved, understand that if we fall for that lie, we've fallen for the same lie as the culture has. That your identity is that you are someone who is created by God and you are someone who deserves respect. 
And everyone who comes into this building, no matter what sin they might be involved in, no matter how they live, every person we meet is someone who is worthy of respect because they are created in the image of God for no other reason. And so we always show respect, but how much more in outdoing one another in honor should we show respect to those whom God has placed over us? You say, well, Randy, you don't know how my mother raised me. My mother is not worthy of respect. And you know what? I understand that feeling. In fact, I've talked to many people in counseling. I've talked to many people uh, just in discipleship and regular conversations who they, they feel that way. And you know what? The truth is their mother sinned against them. No, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But think about this. Who was Solomon's mother? Bathsheba. What is she famous for? She had some skeletons in her closet, did she not? She had committed horrible sins with King David. In fact, uh, and we can't be dogmatic about this, there's kind of some debate on how to understand that sin. Uh, some of the Hebrew, the way it's worded, actually kind of gives the impression that maybe this was actually an ongoing thing and the time that David and Bathsheba got caught was not actually the first time that they had gotten together. She had committed horrible sins. She had, she had uh, her husband was murdered in order to cover up her sin. She had skeletons in her closet. She was someone who uh, had terrible sins in her life and yet Solomon still gave her the respect that she deserved because she was his mother. Beloved, listen, most parents I talk to today and, and I'm gonna include myself in this, we are painfully aware, painfully aware of how far we fall short as parents. Is that fair to say? We are painfully aware that we have made serious mistakes in the raising of our kids. And I love people who say, well, well when I have a kid, I'm not gonna do that. I said, we all said that too. <laughs> We all said it. And guess what we did? I said something to my kids not long ago and I just heard my mother's voice and what I said. It's <laughs> we are painfully aware of our failures. We don't need them thrown in our face. One of the last churches I pastored, all they wanted to talk about was the failing parents of today and the failing parents and this and that. And they just, they just hated kids. And most of them didn't need that. They don't need it rubbed in their face. They need God's grace. They need God's forgiveness. And I will say that there is no one in the life of a mother who has a more power to demonstrate God's love and grace in their life than their children. There is no one who has more power in a mother's life to show God's grace and forgiveness. Do you know how often men that our wives and mothers compare themselves to 
other wives and mothers? Do you know how often they do that? Do you know how often they feel condemned? Especially in social media. You've got that one family that has like seven kids. I mean, they're approaching their own TV show. You know, they've got so many kids and, and, and they've always got the perfect dinner spread and they've always got the perfect meal and they've got the perfect life and yada, yada, yada. And you're sitting here, they're like, and man, my kids are lucky to get mac and cheese and chicken-like product. I, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know if it's real chicken or not, but you know what? My kids' stomachs are resilient, and so that's what they get because they're gonna be able to digest it, and that's good, right? <laughs> and you know how often we, we compare ourselves to one another and we condemn ourselves because we don't measure up to the standard that we've placed. There is no one who has more power in a mother's life to express God's forgiveness and grace than your children. And so I, I, I implore you to show grace and mercy. Beloved, as a church, we need to come behind our mothers. Don't, don't compare them to other mothers. Don't compare them to one another. Come behind them, support them. We're all in this together. We're all messed up. We're all just a whole bunch of messed up people trying to help other people who are messed up, right? And so... Let's not be judgmental. Let's, let's show one another grace. He shows respect to her, and then number two, he honors her by listening to her. Look in verse 20. Then, then uh, she says, I am making one request of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said, ask my mother. I will not refuse you. Uh, I want you to notice right here that she first asked him permission. Bathsheba was convinced that Adonijah's request was a small request. It was something that could be easily done. Probably thought that the request was reasonable. In fact, maybe she thought that if I just do this one thing for Adonijah, then it will bring peace to the family and it will stop all of this infighting. It'll stop all of this royal intrigue. And so she politely asked for a small favor. And I want you to notice Solomon's answer. He says, ask my mother, for I will not refuse you. You see, Bathsheba, in their life, and every parent in our life, we come to a place where our authority over our kids is no longer a, a uh, commanding authority, but it is an influence. And Solomon understands that, that he is not entitled, he is not required, he is not, it is not necessary for him to necessarily do anything that she says, but I want you to notice his preference is to say yes. And so the, 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 as soon as she says, I have one small favor to ask of you, Solomon had grow, grown great. He would eventually become the greatest king in the world, and yet his first inclination when asked something to do by his mother is to say yes. He doesn't even know what it is yet. It's just to say, yes, I will do it. I will not refuse you. He says to her, he addresses her, my mother, my, it, 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 this is more than just a courtesy or royal court. He's addressing her affectionately. His first inclination is to give her what she desires. And as children, I think it's very normal for us because of the fall that our first inclination, our typical response to our parents is to fight, is to disobey, 
complain, resist. Isn't it strange how when a child turns a certain age and, and all of a sudden all they wanna do is fight? I mean, you know, everybody warned us about the terrible twos. Man, the twos were great for us. Then they turned three. And oh my goodness, I thought they were born saved until then. <laughs> it's just like all of a sudden their whole, everything changed and they started getting kind of a mind of their own and they wanted to do everything. And even when, have you ever noticed there's some kids that wanna fight with you even when you give them what they want? <laughs> you tell them yes and they still just keep fighting? It's like, I said yes, <laughs> right? What is that? Beloved, that is what we call the fall. That's what we call sin. You see, when God created us, he created us to live perfectly and in harmony. God created the world and he created uh, humanity. He created mankind to rule over the world as managers of his creation. But what happened was, was that we decided that we did not want to rule under God. We wanted to be God. And we took the crown off of his head and we placed it on our head and we said, shove off God, we want to be in control. We wanna do what we wanna do. We wanna rule society. We wanna live our lives. We wanna do whatever we wanna do. We want to be our own little gods, which is amazing because that is still a temptation in so many churches today, to be little gods. The problem is we make a mess of everything. We make a mess of our lives. We make a mess of our families. And beloved, your, your children, that precious, innocent little baby, their true potential is that one day, as soon as they're able, they will take a little crown and they will put it on their heads and they will say, I am in control. I am the boss. What I say goes. And even when we tell them yes, it's amazing. Have you ever noticed, isn't it amazing how much smarter your parents get as you grew older? You begin to realize that Maybe they weren't the goofs that Disney told you they were. <laughs> Maybe they weren't the goofs that popular culture says they are. And even when there is, they are no longer in authority, their wisdom simply comes from life experience. Listen, just by virtue of being in this world longer than we have, there is wisdom that comes with that. There is life experience. I remember I was teaching a, a Bible study here, in fact, and, uh, and we were going over, uh, I think we were going over marriage. I can't remember, it was a long time ago. And, and, uh, and I had asked a question uh, and, and somebody uh, kind of hesitantly raised their hand and said, well, Randy, we just, we just don't know the Bible that well. And I said, well, that's okay. Just, just, tell, me, just tell me your opinion. And I remember everyone was so quiet. They were so afraid to speak up. And I, and I finally made the point. I said, listen, I want you to understand something. That there was, somebody in, there was somebody in that room who had been married for 50 years. You may not know your Bible as well as you want to, but don't ever think you have nothing to offer in a Bible study. 
Don't ever think that you have nothing to offer just by virtue of your life experience, by virtue of what, how you have seen God work in your life, by virtue of how you have lived that life. And yes, even the mistakes that you have made, don't think that you have nothing to offer your children. And children, don't think that your parents have nothing to offer you. And so Solomon listens to her. A godly child respects and listens. That's how we honor one another is by listening to them. What does James say? Every one of you be slow to speak and quick to hear. If I were translating that text for a teenager today, I may not, I may not translate it exactly literal. I might translate it this way. God gave you two ears and one mouth. <laughs> so open the two and shut the one, right? <laughs> but, uh, and so don't ever think that you have nothing to offer just by virtue of the life experience you have. And even if you have parents who are not Christians, just by virtue of the fact that they've been in the world, there's wisdom there that you can learn from. There's wisdom there that you can take. But it does take an interesting turn here. I want you to notice that we honor by, by respecting, we honor by listening, but there's also an honor that comes from protection. Christ-like honoring is gonna involve protection. Because look what's happened. She says in verse 21, let Abishag, the Shumanite, be given to Adonijah, your brother, as a wife. Now, this seems like an innocent request, right? I mean, I mean, it's just a, a star-crossed kind of lover who has the tingles and he wants to marry a young lady, right? Well, not exactly. You see, Solomon is no political fool. And he immediately knows what's going on here. And look what he says. And Solomon answered to his mother, and why are you asking Abishag, the Shumanite, for Adonijah? Ask him also for the kingdom, for he is my older brother, even for him, and Abiathar, the priest, and, and Joab, the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by Yahweh, saying, may God do so to me and more also if Adonijah had not spoken this word against his own life. And he goes on to basically swear that Adonijah has just signed his death warrant. You say, that's kind of extreme, isn't it? Well, not exactly. You see, when David was old and he was at a point where he was approaching death, Abishag was assigned to him as a nurse to help him. And, but you need to understand that in the, even though David had no physical relationship with her, the culture, the royal court would have understood her as being part of his harem. In other words, they would have understood her as one of his concubines. And even though that's not what happened, this is more than a starry-eyed lover boy wanting to marry his girl. This is actually a political move and it is, a, it is an approach and it is a threat to the throne. He is essentially trying to take the throne from his brother and he is using Bathsheba, manipulating her to get it done. And Solomon is no fool. In fact, he is furious. Not only had they conspired again after he had showed them mercy, but he used his own mother as a pawn. 
And so Solomon, what he's doing here is he's pointing out the conspiracy to his mother and he's, so, and he's showing that the very first thing they would have done had he allowed this to happen, probably the first thing they would have done is gone for Solomon's life and then guess who would have been next? The queen mother. So this is more than just a question of a starry-eyed lover boy wanting to marry his girl. This is a move for the throne. Bathsheba didn't realize it, but Solomon did. And Solomon moves quickly, and basically the rest of the chapter deals with his removing the threat. I want you to notice something here, beloved. Honoring someone, listening to them, respecting them does not always necessarily mean that you say yes to them it doesn't always necessarily mean that we actually honor the request. Do you see that? Solomon could not honor this request. In fact, he has to do the exact opposite. He has to go and basically kill everybody who's involved in the conspiracy. But why does he do that? He does it for her benefit. He does it for her protection. It was still in love for his mother. Beloved, listen, there may come a time in your life that even when your parents, when you're older, want you to do something that you can't actually follow what they say. You can't actually obey them. The word of God says that you must obey God rather than men. And yes, there is a time when your parents might want you to do something and because you are no longer under their authority, you're only under their influence now, they have to tell you no. But even when that time comes, there's still a way to do it that is respectful and is honoring and is for the glory of God and the good of them. There's still a way to do it that is Christ-like. You may never get a chance to actually save your mother's life like Solomon does here or your mother-in-law or the mother of your children's life as Solomon does. But on the other hand, you can protect them. Every night on the news, it seems like there's some new scam that is targeting old people. Listen, my, my mother's, when, when my mother's grandfather was my age, the fastest mode of transportation was still a good horse. My mother's son, they've gone the, uh, space travel. I mean, there's private companies now that are rocketing to the moon and they travel faster than we can ever imagine. And in the span of, of one generation, my mother's grandfather, a good horse, my, my mother's grandchildren, the spaceship, Technology has moved so fast and it's kind of hard for some of you to keep up. It's kind of hard. And it's very easy when you don't understand all the modern technology and all the modern stuff that's going on, the interwebs and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's very easy. It, may, it makes easy targets. And so you can still protect your mother and there's gonna be times when you have to do that by not granting her request. You can still protect her. Sometimes our parents need our help. The world has radically changed in the last 60, 70 years. 
And so we still need our help. But not only that, it may not even be that dramatic. You can still protect her reputation. Let me, let me ask you this, fellas. Do you badmouth your wives to your friends? Do you badmouth your mother-in-laws? Oh, that's a big one. <laughs> do you badmouth your mother-in-law? Do you badmouth your mother? Or do you protect her reputation? Children, do you vent about your parents to your friends? Or do you protect their reputation? Causing your friends to disrespect them? Beloved, we live in a culture today that has largely turned against parents. The culture tells us that the parents just don't understand. They just get in the way. But God commands us, honor, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you do everything they say, but it does mean that you honor them. We are called to be countercultural. We are called to be different. And you have to be different to make a difference. Beloved, there is no place right now the church can shine better than in our families. The family is under attack today. And there is no place that we can show what Christ's likeness can really do than in our families. That sin, that culture is fighting against us so much. How do we escape it? How do we get, how do we rise above it? Simply this, because even though we deserve death in our sin, God has made another way for us he has sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come and live. He always honored his parents. He always respected them. He always lived under God's authority, under God's rule. He did so perfectly, earning the righteousness that you and I, des that you and I cannot earn on our own. But then, even though he was innocent, he went to the cross and he died for our sins so that you and I can be forgiven. And then he rose on the third day so that we're not only forgiven, but when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we have a new life within us, new desires, new joy, a new way of living, a new desire to honor Christ. And yeah, maybe your parents sinned against you greatly but look at how much we sinned against Christ and look at how he has forgiven us. And there is no one who can show grace and mercy in a mother's life more so than her children. And so my question this morning to you is, will you be Christ-like? I can't, will you show Christ-like honor to your parents? Outdo one another in honor. And if there's anywhere we need to do that, first and foremost, we need to do that in the home. In the home. Our Father, we thank you for these principles. We thank you for this, this episode in, in Solomon's life that gives us an example of what it means to show Christ-like honor to one another. And Lord, may we show respect. May we listen. But then also, may we protect Lord, it may be that the, protect, the very protection they need is to hear the gospel. It may be that the very protection they need is to come to Christ 
so that they can have salvation, forgiveness of sins. And if there's one in here who doesn't have that this morning, Lord, I pray that this would be the day that you would draw them to yourself. There's, there's children here today that are, maybe they don't normally go to church, but they did today to make mom happy. Lord, I pray that something was said or done that would draw them to yourself, that you would bring them into the fold, that you would save them from their sins. Lord, maybe there's those in here who, who their mother is lost. Lord, I pray this morning that you would give them the courage to, in an honoring and in a respectful way, but also to plead with them for the salvation of their soul. Lord, whatever the needs are this morning, I pray that you would move in our midst. I pray that you would give us exactly what we need for we cannot, without faith, it is impossible to please you. And everything we do, I pray that you would have your way in our lives. I wanna ask you to stand and if you're here this morning, if there's something you want to be prayed for, if there's, maybe you're here and you have never heard the gospel before and you would like to have more information, Maybe you're here and you have been and you've been caught in the sin of dishonoring your parents and you need to pray for forgiveness of that. Of course, you can do that where you are. But we would invite you to come if there's ways that you need specifically, some specific instruction on how you can carry out the principles of the sermon this morning. We want to help you with that too. Let's just uh, let's bow our heads and uh, let the music play for just a second. And if you have a need, I invite you to come.